Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up to the Byline Times podcast, this time the consultant renouncing Shell after working for them for more than a decade. Caroline Dennett shares her story of disillusionment with the company's delivery of climate change promises. And it begs the question, perhaps the bigger question, of whether we can trust any of these big energy companies with their green pledges. Before we get cracking with Caroline, just a reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are supported by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper. If you want to find out more about the Byline Times, check out our wonderful website as well, bylinetimes.com. What we're about is independent investigative journalism, not in hock to any corporate interest, not answerable to any political party. We just try and well, tell it like it is, really. <laughs> tell the truth and expose those who are responsible for wrongdoing and for not telling the truth for what they are. So feel free to come and join us. Take out a subscription to the Byline Times. More information at bylinetimes.com. So it's welcome to uh, Caroline Dennett. Hello, Caroline. How are you doing? You're right. Yeah. Hi, Adrian. Hope you can hear me. Yeah, okay. great. You've caused a bit of a stir in the last 24 hours or so, posting a video and effectively renouncing a shell, a company that you've worked for, for more than 10 years. You didn't work directly for Shell. You weren't an employee of Shell as such. Just just tell us what you do and how you came to be involved with Shell in the first place. Yeah, thanks, Adrian. That's right. So I'm, uh, I've got a small business that contracts uh, with Shell very specifically on safety culture assessments. So cast your mind back to 2010, if you can think that far uh, back, if you're old enough to do that. Um, there was a massive oil incident in the Gulf of Mexico, Deepwater Horizon. There's been a very famous um, Hollywood film uh, produced as a result of that, where it was a terrible incident. There was, you know, lives lost and huge uh, environmental uh, disaster in terms of uh, release of oil into the sea. Now, that wasn't Shell. That was, uh, sadly, that was BP who did that. But Shell and other players thought, oh, do you know what? It's lucky that it wasn't us. That could have been any player out there, actually. And they wanted some way to not predict, that would probably be too too far a stretch, but to really understand, you know, what are the values and attitudes and behaviours at front line, you know, at front at the front line of uh, the oil and gas industry, you know, that might indicate whether we're setting ourselves up for something similar. So they asked, would I uh, design a, a process safety culture survey? I'd never done any work in the oil and gas industry previously, but I was a survey uh, expert, I suppose, for want of a better word. So together with some Shell frontline engineers, we created a a survey, an in-depth survey that would, you know, go out to frontline employees and contractors to really understand their perception of safety performance and safety culture. So we did a test and, you know, a pilot and a test and thought uh, that'll be it. We'll hand it over to Shell. They'll do it in-house or they'll get a much bigger player than us. But they offered us uh, to do that globally uh, for them, which uh, was, uh, you know, felt like a, a great honour, really, because we're a tiny company. Um, and so we've been doing that across many of Shell's assets uh, all over the globe, not having to travel, uh, I have to say, but, you know, remotely employing, uh, employing um, survey employees, sorry, uh, with a very in-depth uh, questionnaire that, that focuses on things like, you know, are workers empowered to mention something that they feel is unsafe to their boss uh, or to their colleague? You know, are leaders uh, 
saying the right things and doing the right things in terms of putting safety before production and, you know, not expecting people to take undue risks or cut corners uh, that might lead to something uh, unsafe. So that's what that's what I've been doing really with, uh, with Shell and, and other clients in the industry and in a different sector as well. So yeah, you, and, and so, so sorry to interrupt, Caroline. So go ahead. Your expertise then, I mean, are you an engineer? What, what is your expertise? I'm just curious, really, to yeah. you so, know what you so, did. Yeah, so not an engineer at all, but really uh, have a good understanding of, of, of what drives human behaviour. Mm. Uh, and really, analytics, I suppose, is our power. So having collected all the data, you know, via this big survey, uh, that's, that goes out to uh, frontline workers. We will then look at all the data. That's tick, you know tick box data, uh, quantitative data, but also lots of open feedback. So you know it would it was a really good opportunity to capture the voice of people who work at the frontline because they could genuinely say, well, I've seen this, or I'm I'm not so happy about that, or we're doing great on this, but not so great on that. And it was a hard hitting uh, survey. You know, it was designed to make the leadership team of that site feel uncomfortable about their safety performance because if you feel comfortable about your safety performance something's going to bite you for sure because it leads to complacency so it was very deliberately a hard measure and i take my hats off to to shell for for for, for doing that and you know because lots of companies just seek to kind of confirm that they're doing well you know we're doing a great job on safety aren't we you know and that does lead to complacency so my expertise really is in understanding the behaviors and what influences uh, behaviours and, and the part that safety leadership plays uh, in that. And by safety leadership, that's not just management, you know, kind of like everyone can be a safety leader. Uh, and it's just really about how we, you know, how we how we behave and uh, how we influence other people. Yeah. So effectively, you know, these oil wells are there. These production platforms are out there. That obviously predates you by many decades. <laughs> You're going in to say to the workers there, okay, if there's a safety issue, are you confident that you can raise this with your boss, perhaps without fear of getting sacked? Is there a is there a proper mechanism by which you can put your hand up and say there's a potential deep water horizon or other catastrophic yeah. events and, and let's try and prevent it before it gets out of hand? Exactly. And that could be, you know, that could be a personal harm as well, you know, like, oh, there's something that's not right, you know, but yeah, and, and to, for them to be able to have a have a conversation with someone via, the, via you know, a vehicle of a, of a survey to be able to, to to be able to do that so that we can get the early indicators that something might, you know, might need looking at. And again, you know, that's, that's, that would be not people ever intentionally setting out to harm anyone at work but more just the unintentional thing you know when people are under pressure or they just want to get the job done you know or yeah there's just people have got blind spots right you know in in your daily work you don't always uh, see everything and and if someone says hey you know actually that's not very safe you need to have a culture that accepts that and where people don't get irritated because someone's called you out for something so it's it's all about the, the, the culture really and and perception you know and there is no reality in safety is it's only ever what people perceive uh, to be the case yeah and i'm, I'm sure people whichever kind of company they work for they'll be familiar with management where if you raise concerns in some cases management will treat you as a troublemaker but good exactly. management will yeah. will have their antennae twitching and say ah this is good this is helpful let's try and create a culture in which everybody can put their hand up and say i think there's an issue here we need to safety we need to sort it for the for the greater good 
And, and in 2010, when you started working for them, let me say, you, not directly for them, but you were you know, hired through a, an agency to work for them as a consultant. At that point, 2010, did you have any thoughts about climate change? Were you conscious of it? Was it in your mind at all? Probably, yeah. So we we're probably heading into 20 to 2011 by the time we were up and running, Michelle. But no, no not, not so much climate change, because that probably wasn't, even though I was, you know, environmentally aware that it wasn't in our everyday conversation. You know, if you read something, you might you might think, oh, yeah, you know, there is glo- probably we did talk about greenhouse gases and global warming. You know, that was probably more. We weren't perhaps thinking of it in terms of climate change. But so there was some awareness of that. But I think from my perspective, you know, I was aware of the of the polluting nature of the oil and gas industry or the potential for that. So so I wasn't particularly overjoyed. You know, I wasn't thinking, yes, this is an industry I really want to work in. But I think having seen the opportunity to keep people safe, you know, from personal injury or harm to help prevent those leaks, you know, whether that's oil or gas uh, escapes, you know, loss of containment or whether it was something like the Deepwater Horizon. You know, when you look at the pictures from that incident, you know, it was so devastating for the Gulf of Mexico and all the communities, uh, you know, who rely on on the waterways around there. And I think the opportunity to do good. It seemed like a, you know, an opportunity to really make an impact. And I have to say, you know, in the 11 years of that work has been valuable. It's been valuable. It's interesting here, you, Caroline, obviously, you know, you've kind of been through this process and you, you know, you've wrestled with your conscience and yeah. I'll explore where you, why you came to the conclusions that you did. But I mean, I think many people listening to this will understand that you, know, you didn't create the oil and gas platforms. You didn't create this industry, but but you were offered the opportunity uh, and the, the chance to at least ensure that this business worked as safely as it could and worked as well as it could. And given that it's there and one person alone isn't going to make it disappear anyway, even if they wanted it to, then you can do, as you say, some good by by intervening positively to at least make sure it's as safe as it possibly can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, you know, I, I, there is a there is a sadness in what I've done because I've had, you know, great working relationships with people uh, at Shell who genuinely work very hard to make sure that, you know, it, the work is as safe as it can be. You know, we forget, I think, every time we turn on um, the gas or turn on the lights that there are people who every day put their life on the line to go and work in, you know, what are very high risk situations in, uh, you know, on, on oil and gas platforms, but also, you know, at, at plants and in, in the manufacturing manufacturing uh, stages uh, you know that, that's real people's lives out there and I you know I, I have a great deal of, of empathy for people who who have to go and do that job um, every day and sometimes they don't they don't see those risks and, and it is a shame to not carry on doing that work because it has had value but it just got to the point where I thought you know what if I felt Shell was genuinely transitioning to a renewable future um, I would want to see that transition through as safely as possible but I just felt that that isn't happening, and I, I was asked to work on, you know, a couple of, um, I do a couple of surveys for, for new construction projects, which means, you know, they're building new infrastructure for for oil and gas, and I just thought, yeah, this is, you know, this isn't transitioning. And, and when I was asked to create a, a kind of new uh, survey for that, there was a there was an indication that there's more of these, you know, there's more of these to come, and I think that is when I just started thinking all the warnings around climate change and they've been around for quite a few years you know they are 
getting more and more severe. We're seeing it, aren't we? We're feeling it. Even here in the UK, we are we are starting to feel it. And there's obviously countries out there, and a lot of them where the oil and gas industry are, uh, that is really feeling this very seriously with, you know, severe high temperatures, flooding, uh, you know, just a, an unlivable uh, world already for, for them, where, where some places are seeing, you know, already two degrees or more of uh, global heating compared to pre-industrial levels. So it's, you know, it, 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 there is a, there's been a sadness and I have wrestled with it. I think that's a really good, that's a really good term. Um, but yeah, you, you you have to live with yourself and, you know, you when, when, a, when a kind of marriage isn't working any longer, I suppose it is just time to um, to, to walk away. And, and I think I did want to make an impact because I wanted to raise awareness and I wanted to let other people in the industry know if you feel like this, you know, perhaps you can you can seek a more sustainable job or career, um, and it is possible to do that. But I I wholly appreciate that I am, you know, in a lucky position. I had the luxury of choice, and that many people who work in the you know industry at the front line they don't have that that choice. It is perhaps it's for them it's, it's oil oil and gas or bust. You know, gen- genuinely there there isn't a lot of uh, alternative good opportunity. And do you mind me asking as well how much of your business then? was reliant on Shell. Is this a big thing in the context of your overall business to give up? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, it is actually, you know, and, uh, you know, perhaps somebody looking on might think, wow, that looks a bit like kind of commercial suicide really to to do that. It's not that, it's not quite that serious, but yeah, they have been a significant uh, part of our, uh, of our revenue and and not just our revenue, but, you know, of, 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 our, of a life really you know lots of hours spent um you know working on this and and working very closely so both from a kind of you know revenue point of view but but also you know just on a kind of um just on a on a human uh, basis you, you know it has it, it it has felt like quite a lot to turn my back on and 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 that yeah that has taken me a few mo- few months from the point of kind of like thinking this is what I need to do you know that it has taken me a, a few months to to really take that leap of faith and say okay uh, now's the time yeah if people haven't seen your video it's very easily available online if you just search uh, Caroline Dennett Sh- uh, Shell Caroline Dennett Shell it will come up but you talk about Shell having a disregard for climate mm-hmm. change risks you accuse them of double talk on climate and I should say before the end of this broadcast, we will uh, hear Shell's response uh, to that. They say that they're operating beyond the design limits of our planetary systems. They're not putting environmental safety before production. And th- and you say that Shell's stated safety ambition is to do no harm. Goal zero, they call it. And it sounds honourable, but they are completely failing on it. They know that continued oil and gas extraction causes extreme harms to our climate, to our environment, to our people. And whatever they say, Shell is simply not winding down on fossil fuels. I mean, you you could hardly be more blunt in your assessments of where Shell are at at the moment. Yeah, well, it, we've always had a harsh measure of uh, safety culture and it's kind of still in the same tone, really. You know, I just, yeah, I, I just think it has to be called out, you know, because so many commentators in the industry, the international energy agency for one you know says we must not take any more new oil and gas out of the ground it's as simple as that if we've got any hope of having a livable future you know and by that we mean 
well, by that we mean really no more over, you know, no more global heating. But we know we're heading for it. We know we're going to shoot past 1.5 degrees uh, Celsius of, of warming. That's that's already on the cards. But you know, if we've got any hope at all of having a you know a decent world where humanity continues and all other forms of life can survive. Uh, you know, as they should do, then, then we just have to, to stop. And I, I, by that, I don't, you know, they don't mean, and I certainly don't mean turning the tap off right now, but having a really, you know, quite radical strategy for changing uh, energy sources happens now. And I think, you know, my, my biggest disappointment uh, with Shell is they are a, a mammoth company that has incredible capital in terms of finances, technology, engineering, human power, you know, they could be visionary leaders in the transition to, to renewables. You know, they were pioneers once, you know, they brought us uh, lots of the luxuries that we have today in terms of how we live, how warm our houses are, how we travel. And it just seems such a shame that they don't have a vision for the future. You know, they are deeply wedded to the fossil, you know, to continuing with fossil fuels, even though the International Energy Agency, the United Nations, pretty much every scientist out there, bar a few, you know, are all saying we have to, we have to change, and we have to change radically. And it would have been wonderful to have been able to see them through that transition. And there are other energy companies out there. A very good example is uh, uh, it's NL, uh, ENEL, uh, the Italian um, energy company. They are going full pelt uh, to decarbonise their uh, national grid. So, it, you know, it is possible, but I, it's just deeply disappointing that they that they aren't acting quickly. They could be great world leaders on this, and it's really disappointing that they're not. Yeah, I noticed that the chief executive of Shell, Ben Van Burden, is due a wage packet of something like £13.5 million this year. Of course, his pay packet is inflated by the oil crisis in Russia. And is it a failure of leadership at the top, in your view? I mean, you know, if you can see this in 2020 vision from your point of view as well, I mean, we all suppose see the world in 2020 vision in, in our own minds. If you can see this so clearly and see this opportunity for Shell as a very wealthy company to grasp the nettle, why aren't they being serious about climate change? It's difficult to, to unpick that, isn't it? Because it took, as an onlooker, it looks so um, obvious. But, you know, I think there's a few things they're they're deeply wedded you know they've invested in the infrastructure for, for years it's what it's what they know it's extremely profitable so i guess for them it's why would you turn off that why would you risk that you know um and perhaps they can't perhaps they can't see how to really monetize renewables in the same way you know because it's so it's so it's so much easier and cheaper for the infrastructure compared to you know oil and gas which does take you know a lot of investment to first you know even explore uh you know and and then and then test and then and then actually build and, and produce so i think there's there's that i think they're you know they're bankrolled by the financial services industry you know with huge investments they're also completely you know wedded to uh, fossil fuels and don't see that they want to change that so you know big investment houses so many pension funds are invested in fossil fuels it's 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 horrendous even in the uk uh, it's 128 billion pounds uh, of uh, pension fund money is uh, sunk into the fossil fuel companies you know so there's a huge infrastructure around this which i i, I guess when you're 
when you're in it, that's all you see. You know, they live and breathe the oil and gas industry. And, and I guess it's not helped possibly by governments who subsidise the oil and gas industry or like the, you know, the government's new approach to energy uh, is, is, is to offer the opportunity for more, more licences for new extraction. So that, that doesn't help. You know, there's kind of like a melting pot of reasons why they would stay. And yet on the outside of that are these very clear warnings and anyone you know, with eyes, <laughs> can see what's going on, um, and it's just, yeah, I think they're just caught. They're they're caught up in it. It is like an addiction. I think you know they're they're so wedded to it, and they just don't see that there's a an alternative way of life. Uh, yeah, and I mean, and you mentioned the big investment houses. You mentioned pension companies. Uh, ultimately, these oil companies are answerable to shareholders, yeah. and shareholders, I guess tend to be short term and if you're not delivering dividends to shareholders shareholders will want to know why and if they're not satisfied with the answer then the share price may well drop and that might well affect the bottom line of the people at the top of the company that's not in any way to justify it but perhaps to explain it yeah absolutely and you know i mean there's a very good quote from uh, sir david attenborough i think it is that says something like you know it's not this is not verbatim but it's something like you know it's it, it's crazy that our things like our our pension funds and our banks and our savings you know are investing in fossil fuels which jeopardizes the very future that we're saving for i mean that is the kind of economic and moral madness that antonio guterres talks about you know it's we can we can when we stand back we can see that you know and um and i just think a lot of people really don't don't understand how their money is being invested you know if you're you know if you're a a council worker for example or you're you know a police officer and you're in you know a big pension fund that you don't really have much control over you're not managing that yourself i think you just assume that somebody is doing good with your money you know and that that money is being invested in a way that that is good for your future and then when you find out that that's not the case actually that someone is investing it in in an industry that is actually narrowing your future opportunities for even life uh, you know i think a lot of people actually get quite angry when they realize that they're just but they're not aware because that's not in the in the you know that's not in the public conversation mm. you mentioned government i think i'm pretty i think i'm right in saying that if all of the current licenses that have been granted for oil and gas exploration were proceeded upon just the ones that have been granted that the uk would bust yeah. its net carbon target you know, net, yeah. net carbon by 2050 yeah. we, we would bust that target simply on the licenses we have granted now Exactly. So we're already overshooting, on a, you know, hugely at a time when we just we have to we do have to really take stock now because, you know, the early I think the earliest date I've seen for when we may hit 1.5 degrees uh, of warming uh, as an average, you know, it, it is 2026. Well, that's, you know, when you hear a lot of the big companies still talking about 2050, you know, they it's like they're saying, you know, we've got until 2045, we've got until 2048, you know, they're, they're counting down to midnight. Well, we're already past midnight, frankly, you know, and if 2026 is, that is the worst case scenario, admittedly, the the most likely, I think, is around 2032. You know, that's not in the future. That's that's now, isn't it? People people plan holidays you know, mm. in three years' time. You know, that's yeah, not yeah, a yeah. No, well, I mean, the, the, yeah, the, the, government, the, the UK government's strategy, just to confirm, is to meet a net zero target by 2050, by which 
the climate may already have been impacted beyond repair. I mean, it's, uh, you know, there, there is a, a call for and a need for radical action. Did, did you have an epiphany, Caroline? Did you have a moment where you just thought, I cannot go on with this anymore? Yeah, yeah, I did. And probably that was the, you know, the the, the last report from the IPCC and, and the, you know, the, the speech from Antonio Guterres uh, at the beginning of April, you know, where it really, you know, we've gone past, you know, his code red for humanity, which was, I think, you know, just after COP uh, or ran COP26 last year. You know, it's now is ramped up, you know, now I think he was calling it, you know, just um, shameful. You know, our performance on climate um, risk reduction is now shameful, you know, and just these messages, you know, they're deep, you know, they're, they're based on the science that, you know, has been around for quite a long time. And I think, you know, that, that just it's just ramping up, isn't it? And just that realisation that things are that then they're as bad as they can be before they're so bad we can't mitigate it any longer. And, and that, that's back to the analogy with Shell. You know, they they do take great care to to operate within the design limits of, of, of their uh, of their equipment, you know, of what they're, they're using. They, you don't put the system under so much pressure that it blows. And yet they're putting the system of, you know, our planetary systems under so much pressure that it is, it is, it is blowing, you know, it's certainly flaring and it may well, you know, completely uh, blow the top off. And I think that they understand that language, you know, they understand the language of, of disabling alarms and ignoring alarms, but the alarms are, sounding so shrill now that you know we just can't go on ignoring them we absolutely have to take take all the necessary action you know and and that and do it now because if we don't do it now that action that we need to take is is going to become more you know more and more severe you know like covid you know covid showed us what can be done when governments really focus their their efforts and to avoid something like that, you know, we we can transition in a, in a, in a smooth, peaceful way now, but if we go on, you know, things are going to get, get are going to get very very difficult for people. You've been with us already for a good uh, half an hour, Caroline. <laughs> and I'm sure you've got other things to do. Have you got another five or ten minutes or so just to take a call from a listener? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. we'd love to. Thank, Thank you. you. Appreciate that. Let's get a word with. Uh, I think it's Aman. Uh, Aman, just uh, wait there a moment. I, I will, uh, uh, Caroline, as well, just read you what Shell have said to us, because I thought it was only fair that we should hear Shell's yes. point of view. They say, being no doubt we are determined to deliver on our global strategy to be a net zero company by 2050. And thousands of our people are working hard to achieve this. We have set targets for the short, medium and long term, and we have every intention of hitting them. We are already investing billions of dollars in low carbon energy, although the world will still need oil and gas for decades to come in sectors that can't be easily decarbonise. So they're flatly, flatly rejecting the allegation, Caroline, that you're yeah. making. Yeah, and and they would, you know, but it's just like, well, where's the proof? Where's the evidence that they're on target? You know, because again, you know, where, where, what are those targets? You know, what, when, when are they going to start reducing? Because if you are seeking new licences, and they are in and around the, the coastal waters of South Africa and Namibia, you know, that's not transitioning out is it i just don't know how they think they they can they can achieve a target unless they're really thinking we're going to do all that target in the last 10 years that we have left you know between 2040 and 2050 because surely you would say we're going to do everything that we can now 
and let's make a start, which means from today, we're not going to seek any more licenses. You know, there's enough reserves already. And as you just said, Adrian, you know, just based on what is already been granted, we are going to overshoot on our, our on our carbon emissions. So I it's words, you know, it's it, it's just words, I'm afraid uh, that that's that's what I that's my observation from what I see operationally going on uh, on the inside. Let's bring uh, Aman Sharma into the conversation. Hello, Aman. You're welcome. Hello. Are you? Welcome, yeah. What do you want to say, Aman? Oh, I'm not sure what's up with uh, Aman there. Let's speak to uh, Cathy. Hello, Cathy. How are you doing? You're right. Hiya, good morning. Um, Caroline, um, lovely to, to hear you speak and totally respect you for for making the stand that you have and speaking out and taking action, you know, reflecting on your own sort of, um, well, conscience, I guess, isn't it, you know? Um, I, I, it's interesting. I, I remember the Deepwater Horizon incident very well. And um, one of the things that concerns me at the moment, I mean, back then in 2011, it happened as, as a result of sort of, um, I think it was like an inferior concrete mix or something like that, which they knew about. And um, due to the lobbying of the oil and gas industry, et cetera, they just, it, it had been deregulated. You know, all of the inspectors had been um, sparsely shared around. And uh, there just weren't enough people to go around to to check each um, oil rig and, you know, what happened, happened. What concerns me now is our government, for example, you know, um, in the North Sea, um, they're of a mind of um, deregulating, you know, check out the red tape. I mean, we're already suffering from a bit of regulatory capture. Is this something that concerns you too? Excellent question, Cathy. And, and, and it does, I have to say, because what we will see happening is as the oil and gas industry becomes less profitable, and it will, you know, over time, I know they've had boot bumper, you know, um, profits just now, and it becomes more difficult to pr- produce. The oil and gas industry, they were, the big players will start to annex, you know, their less profitable businesses and, and sell it out to, you know, more, more local um, operators. And, you know, I think people will take their eye off the ball in terms of safety. Shortcuts will be made uh, because, you know, the race to just keep on producing will be there. And that will lead to more to more incidents. And I think that is a genuine, you know, that is a genuine concern. I think it will become increasingly deregulated. I think when the big players, you know, perhaps sell stuff off to, to smaller players, you know, they won't have they won't have the resources to put some of the safety, uh, you know, some of the safeguarding in place. And I, and I think that is a real, I think we could see far more um, incidents. And, and of course, you know, every day there are smaller incidents. And, you know, if you look in the, the, the Niger Delta, you know, there's areas there which have been absolutely decimated by um, leaks uh, or, you know, oil leaks and, 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 you know, to see more. So I think you're right. I think, you know, we could be heading for a place where there's, there's, there's more, uh, there's even more um, pollution, uh, and and that will have a devastating effect on you know on our land and seas, uh, and not great for, for wildlife. So I think you know it, yeah, it it's, it could potentially get 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 dirtier uh, as, as as things uh, go on. Great stuff, Caroline. Thank you, and thank you for joining in, Kathy, as well. 
Really appreciate your contribution, Caroline, and it's a, a brave and a bold thing that you have done, and it certainly sparked a lot of debate, not just on Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast, but elsewhere in the media as well. And, uh, well, we take our hats off to you. And, uh, oh, thanks, Adrian. Thank you so much, and thanks for yeah. having me on. No, no. Well, I hope you contribute some more as well. It'd be great to hear from you on another occasion as well. It's, uh, you know, it really is a, a significant intervention, I think. And I would encourage people to check out your video. If just if people just put in Caroline Dennett Shell video, I'm sure they'll find it. Thanks very much indeed to everybody who's listened. Don't forget, if you can, if you want to support free and fearless journalism, check out the Byline Times, our monthly newspaper. You get details on how to subscribe to that at bylinetimes.com. And your subscriptions not only pay for your newspaper, they pay for the website, Byline TV, Byline Radio, and the Byline Times podcast. So thank you all very much indeed for listening. Stay tuned to at Byline Radio for details of more Twitter spaces when we go live and all of these programmes as well we will endeavour to put up as well via the Byline Times podcast so please spread the word thanks very much indeed everyone, see you soon ta-da